kids don't really feel it that way. They don't really understand that that person is gone for forever. They die and I think for a while they kind of don't feel the loss. They think like, oh, they're going to come back. It always felt like it's not my family. They're my relatives. I live with them, but I couldn't call it my family because I because of the reason for me not having my own room in that place and always being dragged and from like to the city back and everything. It never felt like I can actually settle down there. Wow. And I know that with grieving as well, um, there's two things that can happen. It's like either the grieving can pull the family together or it can rip them apart. When we make decisions as a teenager, I, I pointed out in the, an earlier episode of the season that we, as teenagers, our minds are not fully formed yet. So to be held accountable for every decision we make is unfair. We would need the help. We would need the support because I made I made a reckless decision when I was a teenager and. Uh... Welcome back to Refreshingly Human. I am your host, Hannah Pillow. We are on season six and we are discussing family dynamics, diving into the labels of black sheeps and white sheeps of the family. Today, I am joined by the lovely Madara Anderson, the founder of Pineapple Innovations. That sounds really yummy. Hi, Madara. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yes, you're very welcome. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about what Pineapple Innovations is? Yeah, sure. So Pineapple Innovations in a, um, is a retail growth consultancy. So what we do is we help high street stores. We help online stores to uh, stand out, to boost their business with um, a unique unique selling point, um, helping people to find and create customer journeys and so on. Amazing. I, I, I can assume that's really helpful nowadays. Um you know, I'm, I'm on my own entrepreneurial journey and damn, you need a coach. You need a coach. You need some help. It is a lot going on right now in the entrepreneurial world. It really is, especially with uh, the last year and, and, and shops being closed so long and so many not being able to survive. Um, mm. A lot of sales still is going to change in the next three to five years because of 2020. Mm, yeah. And uh, Madara, can you tell us where you where are you from and where are you based right now? Yeah. Yeah, sure. So um, I actually was born in Latvia. Um, however, I grew up part of my childhood in Germany. And somehow in the last eight years, I ended up living in UK. Um, before I lived in London and now I moved to Scotland, Glasgow. Loving it here. Yeah, Glasgow is amazing. I, I live in Manchester myself and the cities are so similar in the vibes that they have. Have you been to Manchester? No, but this is on my visit list. Amazing. Let me know when you do visit. We can actually meet up now. You know, the restrictions are slowly lifting here. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Amazing. So, Madara, let's dive into it. I want to know... Um, so we, we're talking about identifying as a black sheep or a white sheep. Um, but what we're trying to explore is beyond the labels, you know, because I think that we identify with these labels. Sure. But I think that there's a lot more to it than just saying I'm a black sheep or I'm a white sheep or I'm both. Right. But I want to go right back to your childhood and maybe your earliest childhood memories and what your family dynamics were like from a very young age. Can, what can you remember? Um, I had a really happy childhood. Um, as I said, I grew 
grew up in, in Germany. My father was working in the embassy and my mother was a stay-at-home mom. Um, already from primary school, she used to take me to all the after-school classes. So I was going to a ballet, swimming, tennis, music school, everything. You name it, I was going there. Um, so that was kind of the beginning of my childhood. But um, when I was um, around 8, 10 years old, my parents passed and the dynamic totally shifted. Um, my mother passed from cancer, my father from diabetes. So me and my little sister, we ended up living with relatives. However, um, nobody, the, sh- the dynamic was totally different because they were obviously a totally different family, totally different values and everyday life. So they weren't driving us around like my mom did because she wasn't working. There. Everybody was working, everybody was busy, everybody was doing their thing. And from age 10, I always felt like I have to grow up. I was forced to grow up much quicker than I wanted to. Yeah, wow, uh, so much to to explore there. And that must have been really traumatic for you to lose both your parents at such a young age. Uh, and so is it just you and your sister, your younger sister, you said? Uh, yeah, we were at that moment, just me and my younger sister. Um, I had two uh, brothers as well, but they were from my uh, parents' previous marriages. So they were already 18 and living their own life when that happened. Right. So uh, I just want to ask you a little bit about like the what it was like to, to grieve that loss. So what I'm what I'm hearing here is that from a very young age, you lost your parents and there was a sudden shift in your life where a lot of things were changing because you had to go and live with family you had a new um a new routine to adjust to a new a new a whole new home and family to adjust to because even though it's family each household has a different way of life completely from each other right um so and then you also had to deal with grief and i i know personally that from a young age we don't even know what we're feeling we don't even know the names of what we're feeling what grief is what was that like for you? I think when you're like really young and mind you, I wasn't even 10 when that happened. Well, 10, I was exactly around 10. Um, kids don't really feel it that way. They don't really understand that that person is gone for forever. They die and I think for a while they kind of don't feel the loss. They think like, oh, they're going to come back. And it didn't. I didn't feel the need to grieve for like a long time until I like actually started to become a teenager and started to feel mm. that I'm missing it. Mm. I don't have it in my life. So it was kind of like you had to just go on. You just went on with life until you one day realized that they're not coming back. Yeah, I think when it's like when you're like turn like 12, 13, 14, that's when you actually start to understand a little bit more about life. And that's when I started to understand what I'm what other children have, the parents and, and the family. I don't really have anymore. Uh-huh. That's when I actually started to feel uh-huh. the, the fact that something is missing from my life. Then I started to feel like Mother's Day coming and I don't have that mother. And so I have something on my chest that I feel like I need to talk to someone and there's nobody around what I can talk to. Mm. So um, I actually started to go um, to therapy when I was 12 already. I went for years to therapy because I couldn't, when I actually started to realize what's happening, I couldn't process my mother's death. So yeah, I went, I think, to therapy for like four years then. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, I I went for therapy from a very young age because my dad died when I was six and um, they they put me in therapy. I think I was seven when I first went for therapy. (laughs) So yeah, I I can imagine this. um, I think it definitely 
definitely better that you went at an older age because I remember when I was very young and in therapy I had no idea what I was doing there and how this person was helping me I had no clue what was happening <laughs> yeah I think it's really hard to remember I think my first session was when I was younger but then there was some kind of gap mm. but then when I turned and started to understand and I went back it's a mm. little bit you know that age is still no, for sure. back in the memories but yeah um, I think therapy is good for kids when they start to realize and they don't know how to process their emotions because yes. it's something new I think that's really good that you went for therapy when you were a little bit older because I didn't go for therapy again until I was like an adult so it was like my first experience was when I was seven and then I never went back until I had been able to make that decision for myself and go back to a therapist um, so yeah I think it was really good that you actually got to go at the age when you started recognizing that you had feelings that you needed to deal with um, but let's cycle back to the family dynamics once that shift happened in your family so once you had to go live with your aunt and uncle is that right your aunt and uncle is who you lived with oh, even that was complicated from there out um, it was like a weekdays I spent with my grandma because she was living in the city and I was still going to school in the city because they didn't want to pull me out of the school after everything what happened so I kind of have like a stable environment and then on the weekends I went off my aunt and uncle lived outside the city I, I understand their thinking behind it however for me as a child it was like I didn't have one place I was coming kind of living in these several households and I felt like I don't really have one place to stay if that makes sense mm -hmm. no so. absolutely yeah oh gosh that's you need that stability at that age don't you you need that at home stability yeah and I know I know the intentions were good no I'm um, sure to, like not to interrupt my school life and my grandma obviously she's a grandma she couldn't take full time us on so it's like kind of understand where they were coming from but for me as a child it didn't work out yeah I can imagine and what was your relationship like with your family in at those times how did it like how did it start and how did it develop um, the relationship has been always good. Um, I, I respect them and they're amazing people. They are very well educated and have good jobs and everything. And um, I'm still do now. However, it always felt like it's not my family. They're my relatives. I live with them, but I couldn't call it my family because I because of the reason for me not having my own room in that place and always being dragged and from like to the city back and everything. It never felt like I can actually settle down there. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's kind of felt like I always felt like the fifth wheel. The so fifth I could go wheel. for like yeah, in my own family. So when you grow up as a teenager and you feel like a fifth wheel, sooner or later it escalates. Tell so me for about me, that. <laughs> for me, for example, um, I really felt like a fifth wheel. I didn't um, have where to turn to. I felt like that's not my family and I had this big big hole in my heart. And at some point, I thought that having a child on my own would fix that. Unfortunately, when I thought that, I was only 16. So what I did is I had a child. Uh, I got pregnant when I was 16. Um, yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to ask, I'm just kind of relating this to my own experience. But do you think that not having that maternal figure in your life made you feel more like you needed to be that maternal figure for someone else? Like you said, it was filling a hole in your life. Yeah, I'm not, a, I would say parental, not even maternal, but parental, that you need your family, that you need oh. some 
somebody who can who's gonna be yours that you know it's only like you know how the family feeling is that you have mm-hmm. people around you you can relate and you know are gonna be there they're the closest people you're gonna have mm-hmm. and I kind of needed that bond with someone and I didn't really have it and uh, I did have a younger sister but she was um, two years younger than me and she had even less knowledge about what's happening around so yeah. you know like smaller kids so for me to have I didn't have that bond with her she was going through her own griefing process and she was saying things differently she was uh because of the fact that she was younger she adapted more easily mm-hmm. to the new living environment mm-hmm. rather than me when I was already kind of struggling with thoughts mm. it's amazing how that two-year gap can make such a huge difference and you know I always say that like I, I grew up in my in my family home and I have four siblings <laughs> I always have to like do it can't I have four siblings <laughs> and it, it's amazing that we all grew up in the same home but everyone has a completely unique experience to that environment you know uh, and I can I can imagine that that must have been the case for you and your sister and I know that with grieving as well um, there's two things that can happen it's like either the grieving can pull the family together or it can rip them apart unintentionally it can rip them apart um, so for me like I'm what I'm hearing for you is that it did create a lot of distance for you with your family and even your your sister your your immediate family so what was it like for you when your child was it sorry is it a boy girl boy boy right okay what was it like for you when your son was born did you feel any better um no because uh, I think obviously I was 16 and I was kind of imagining more that that's gonna fill up the gap but um having an infant obviously just gave me just kept me more busy gave me more problems it made me actually start cleaning diapers and get a job next to having a high school and everything so it's like I, I created this whole new world for myself but I didn't know what I'm signing up to I didn't know how I was going to be to pay bills I didn't know for example that you have to pay electricity bill and and things like that I, I thought this kind of happens automatically that they're going to charge me and then three months in somebody's knocking on my door and asking me why am I not paying basically yeah. and I, there's so many situations I didn't know what I'm signing up to so did it it didn't no it didn't really obviously that was my son and I loved him but um it didn't give me the comfort what I would have expected now I have like obviously a partner and kids and everything and it's totally on a different level Mm -hmm. but when I was 16 I just created myself this life where I didn't know what I'm doing if I want to like I was when I just have to like kind of put in when I was 16 and I got pregnant um I was a single mom so I didn't create this family it's just I created a child that I had to look after Mm, there wasn't was... me my partner and a kid we mm. want little happy family helping each other supporting each other I was a single mom when I was 17 yeah. living on my own so you not you... knowing what to do yeah I mean you mentioned earlier that at the age of 10 you had to grow up faster than you know than usual and then again you had to do that at the age of 17 having a child so your life had accelerated into adult like feelings adult like situations a lot faster than I would say the average person yeah um, and how did your family react to you becoming a teenage mom? Um, were they supportive? Were they helpful? What was the dynamic like then? Well, they weren't happy. Um, as I said, my uncle and my aunt are very well educated and they were expecting um, really high education levels from all their children and stepchildren, including me. And um, they are really conservative. So they don't drink, they don't smoke, they don't have tattoos or anything like that. So for me to come out 
at 16 and being like, well, I'm going to have a child. I don't have education. I'm not married. I'm nothing. I'm going to do everything upside down. Obviously, they weren't happy, but they couldn't, they wouldn't force me, obviously, to have an um, abortion or anything else. Like, so, so they kind of went along. It was my decision and they allowed me to make my own decision. Um, in, in regards to supportive, well, it was more like, well, if you have decided to be a grown up, then you can be a grown up. They were there, but obviously I was living in the city. They weren't there living in the same city as me. And at that point, I think at some point as well, I felt too, I don't know if I should say proud or embarrassed, but I didn't feel like I can go and ask for help. I felt myself that I made a decision. I have to deal with it and I have to take responsibility. It's not like I can go back mm. and ask for help. I didn't feel like that's an option. Well, probably would be an option, but somehow, I don't know. I'm not really sure if that's my ego or what, but I couldn't, I, I just couldn't go back. I had to deal with the situation what I have. No, for sure. You highlight a very important point there, Madara, that it is extremely extremely difficult to ask for help especially if it's like you said a situation we created for ourselves but also on the other hand when we make decisions as a teenager, I, I pointed out in an earlier episode of the season that we, as teenagers, our minds are not fully formed yet. So to be held accountable for every decision we make is unfair. We would need the help. We would need the support because I made I made a reckless decision when I was a teenager and um, my family supported it because it was within my culture, within my religion. It was what they had expected for me. So they supported it, but it was not the right decision for me. And I also felt very much trapped in a situation I created for myself. Um, so it is, it's hard to ask for help because we feel like we feel a sense of responsibility for what we decided to do. But like I said, on the other hand, how can a teenager be held accountable for life-changing decisions that are so big, like having a child or getting married? Um, you know, we, we need more support from the grown-ups in our life. We need more understanding from them as well. Yeah, um, I think some of it comes, the more you live, the more you see, the more understanding you have. Um, I think there are still some young people who live with their parents until they're 25 and they're getting pampered and they're still going to make those wrong decisions only when they're going to be 25, you know? because they kind of are in the nest still pumped. Well, I mean, did you know that our brains are still forming up until 25? There we go. <laughs> Um, so now, Amadara, let's fast forward to today. Um, so how old is your son now? He's 12. Yeah. Do you have any other kids? Yes, I have two daughters. Uh, one is five and the other one is going to be two in a month. Amazing. And are you still a single mom? No, not anymore. Okay, amazing. So you have the family you always wanted? Yeah, well, yeah. Only, always wanted. But... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I have a I have an amazing family and I have adorable daughters and my son. I cannot believe that he's twelve and that I actually raised him because even raising a child when you're sixteen, all the mistakes I did, the way I handled him and like I'm really surprised that he's grown up to be such a sensible and lovely boy. And uh, yeah, I have a family and I'm proud of it. I love that. That's that's a beautiful. I, I wouldn't say it's an ending because it's definitely not an ending, but it's a beautiful cy a cycle to come out the other end of. But tell us a little little bit Madara of how you got to where you are now like emotionally what steps
steps did you have to take? I can imagine it must have been quite a tra traumatic journey to get from a 16-year-old single mom to where you are right now. It was. Um, it was a lot of jobs. Um, I struggled through um, even getting an education because um, I started three times different unis and I couldn't finish it. And only on the fourth try, I finally got a degree. And that's, I got a degree last year. Like it took me years and years to get an education and, and jobs. And uh, it's it's been it's been a journey. It's been a ride. It's been a colorful ride. Um, but am I am I emotionally, for example, fine with everything what happened? Is probably no. I think there is still a lot um, I'm processing. New things, for example, are coming up every other day. Um, me myself, I posted something about perfectionist of me being a perfectionist on social media the other day, and people were commenting. And through those comments, I understood that because of me growing up in a family what has so such a high standard. I am now chasing something I cannot reach because they expected it to, from me. So I learned to expect that from myself as well in a quite unhealthy way, I believe. So are we ever going to be fine after growing up differently and going through so many things? We're going to be fine. We're going to survive. But there's still a lot to kind of handle, process and go process. through. No, definitely. Process. And I love that. I love that you highlighted that we, we're going to continuously be discovering things about ourselves that as our journey evolves in life, uh, as we have, we meet new challenges, new expectations, um, we're always going to be discovering some past trauma that's going to come up and that we need to deal with. Um, we, we're never going, we are human. We're never going to be perfect. <laughs> and it's always going to be a journey. Do you think that you found a way to create joy in your life despite the trauma and to, to create like your own version of happiness in your life yes but um to be honest quite recently um before that i i didn't know how to handle and i used to drink and and smoke a lot and, and so on and, and and i didn't live a healthy lifestyle at all because i didn't know i kind of was always suppressing all my feelings and when a problem came up i didn't know how to deal with it because i didn't have that support so now only recently i've um been doing some self-development and learning actually to have gratitude for things that we have in our lives and um for how we have turned out and rather than chasing up and being like oh look at him he's driving this car why am i not driving that car i'm appreciating i have a car come on three years ago i didn't even have a car now i have two you know so go and figure i love that that's beautiful and it, it's so true you know we just we, we processing and we learning and to, to be grateful is not easy i can say like uh, i i try to do it in my journal every day to write something i'm grateful for and trust me if you do it every single day it gets harder and harder to think of things that you're grateful for <laughs> So it's, it's, not repeat yourself um i do I, I start to eventually um but then yeah i don't know it, it gets repetitive sometimes <laughs> but i guess like they say when you write things down there's a there's a science behind it that it's it's putting it instead of it just being in your head it's putting it on your thoughts out on a paper and there's just some complications like some benefits to actually writing things out as opposed to just thinking about them um so i do try to do it but it's not it's not easy it's not an easy thing gratefulness is hard but it's important for us to remember 
remember, I think especially to remember, like you said, how far we've come. You didn't have a car, now you have two. And you can forget so easily that I was in the situation where I could never even afford a car and now I have two. Um, so it's important to, to be able to reflect and be grateful for what we have now and remember how far we've come on our journeys. What is your relationship right now like with your family? I think you mentioned earlier that it's still good. Yeah, um, I respect them and um, I call once in a while to catch up. Um, actually, I'm only in contact with my aunt. Um, somehow the contact over the years have fallen out. Like, for example, I haven't spoken with my brothers in years. Um, I haven't spoken with my sister now in year two now. So kind of my relationships have fallen out because of the decisions what I have made in my life. And the fact that I have made decided to live my life differently has created the fact that a lot of people don't know how, they, how to talk with me or they don't understand me. And it's easier not to con connect them, I guess. I don't know. But we don't talk and, and that's fine. And I don't really, it's not like I don't like them. And if it's fam family gathering, if I ever meet them, it will be fine and it will be nice to catch up. But we don't go on out of our way to actually have a conversation. So just uh, live with the family I have now. You know what? Again, Madara, you, you, you just brought such an important point. Like, I think that we are put, we put these expectations on ourselves that we have a responsibility to our relatives and our family but it's so important to prioritize what it is that we need what is bringing us peace and if you feel like you don't need to actively reach out to a person because if actively reaching out to them is always causing you distress then it's perfectly okay to say I'm not going to do this and like you said I, I have that relationship with people in my family as well I have actually some family members I don't talk to at all and again it's not like I actively I hate you or I dislike you it's just that my life is better this way so you know if we see each other we civil we get on but i'm not gonna go out of my way to be besties would you um yeah, and there's nothing wrong with it End of the day, we need to live that we're happy isn't it yeah it's exactly. Happiness. exactly it's all about happiness and i'm not sure about you madara but i in my own life i only like to invest my time in genuine relationships and creating authentic relationships and everything else for me is background noise uh and i'm not going to spend a lot of time with it so i don't know if you if you are like that in any way so even when it comes to my family members i only genuinely take the time for the ones that i know um bringing value to my life and if it's not i don't go out of my way for them yeah i i, I do agree i won't go out of my way uh, but one another thing i try to do is have sometimes go out of my way but only for the sake of my kids having and building that relationship yeah i mean yeah for sure you have kids so i don't <laughs> <laughs> that's easier a little bit easier definitely easier <laughs> for sure gosh i cannot imagine that that would complicate things so much because uh, yeah then you have to obviously think of the kids uh, i can imagine and that that's good good on your part that you are thinking of your kids well madara uh thank you so much for sharing your story with us i think that there was so much of value and you've come such a long way and i do invite the audience and all of you out there listening to check out Pine pineapple innovations um because now you know the story behind the founder you know check it out and see what she's doing and see how amazing she is. So Madara, where can we find you? You can find me on uh, LinkedIn. That's uh, the best place to find me. And obviously a website as well, pineappleinnovation.co.uk. And feel free to get in touch. Amazing. We'll link it in the show notes for you. So Madara, before we say goodbye, I like to ask a few shot fire questions just to get to know more of the human behind you. And so the first question is, what is the one thing you 
cannot live without. Oh, um, coffee. I love that. Oh my god, me too. <laughs> and what is your favorite food? Sushi. Really? Katsu curry. Japanese. Okay. Okay. Amazing. Yeah. And what would you say is your biggest weakness? Uh, letting my fear control. That's deep. And your biggest strength? Biggest sorry. Strength. Uh, my belief in myself. Amazing. I love that because that can again that can like balance each other out to letting your fear control and believing in yourself can bring you that I'm, harmony. I'm working on that fear part. I'm really working on it. Oh yeah, trust me. It's uh, it's it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> And I think that whenever, as humans, whenever we starting something new as well, new fear comes about. Uh, I know I'm I'm currently working on something new in my life, and I'm like scared shit <laughs> of it right now. But yeah, fear is a tough one. Well, yes, Madara, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was really lovely to connect with you. And uh, if everyone listening out there, check Madara out and let us know what you thought of her story. Sh- send us a shout out, and we will see you on the next episode. Thank you, Hannah. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of Refreshingly Human with myself, Hannah Pillow. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, don't forget to share it with a friend you think would enjoy the content as well. You can also leave me a review on iTunes or Podchaser.com. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Refreshingly Human Podcast, Facebook as Refreshingly Human, and LinkedIn as Hannah Pillow. And I'll see you guys on the next episode.